When I was in high school, our church youth group would go on bike trips every summer. They were my dad's brainchild, and he would plan and orchestrate these elaborate events, mapping out routes and choosing places to camp along the way. And each day of these four to five day trips, we would ride 30 to 40 miles. There was probably 25 kids that would go on these trips. It was a lot, and it was a blast. And even the fact that my dad wore spandex with running shorts over top and a shirt tucked into them with suspenders <laughs> and then never took off his helmet lest he lose it somewhere even when we went into a restaurant, even that could not diminish the fun of the trip. There was something about journeying together as a group that made an impact on all of us. Even still, my closest friends from home are those who I rode miles of Pacific Northwest roads on while singing Nitty Gritty Dirt Band and Tupac at the top of our lungs and eating bugs. Parents and volunteers rode with us. My dad rode with the group that was the fastest group that my brother and I were a part of. I was the only girl in the group, and I would draft behind one of two star linemen from our town's football team, so I basically didn't have to pedal at all. My mom took the slowest group, and she would stop and buy them ice cream at least once a day. They called themselves the leisure riders. But there was all kinds of groups in between. There was a place and pace for everyone, and we all ended up in the same place at the end of the evening hanging out at the campfire and remembering the highs and lows of the day and feeling pretty good that we made it. On one of our trips, there was a mountain pass, and rather than making us all ride up it, which really would have been a nightmare for everyone, they ferried us up to the top and then gave us our bikes so we could ride down. And a few of us from the fast group took off, excited to cruise down the mountain at lightning speeds, and we hooted and hollered as the wind flew in our faces. It was so much fun. And then about a quarter mile in, a van, one of our support vehicles, flew past us, parked, and the driver hopped out and waved us down, one of the dads in the group. We had gone down the wrong way. He piled us into the van and reascended the mountain so we could go down again, but the other direction. And it was such a grace, we never made it to the top on our own in the first place, and we got to cruise down twice. <laughs> These trips where we journeyed together brought this community together, and that more than staying in one place ever could, more than just showing up at youth group on Wednesday nights ever could. So when our youth group, when folks in our youth group got sick, lost parents, got arrested, got pregnant as teenagers, were going through different difficult times, we were able to be there for each other because we had journeyed together. In our text this morning, the word for healing is sozo, which doesn't just mean, oh, I'm not sick anymore, I'm cured. It means more than that. It means restoration and being made whole. And in every one of our texts this morning, this being made whole happens on the move. Being made whole by God does not happen when we're stagnant. It does not happen from being still. It doesn't happen from staying the same and keeping everything pristine. 
It happens in movement, change, messiness, and growth. It happens outside of our comfort zones and safe places. It happens in the grace of God. Our first story of healing on the move is Naaman. Naaman was an indisputable hero, and the story begins with the king of Israel getting a letter that's, that's asking for Naaman to come and be healed by his prophet. And the king of Israel is really upset about this because uh, Naaman is a crazy, amazing warrior, and if they can't heal Naaman, what is going to happen to them? He was terrified, and he was rightfully terrified. But Elisha, um, showing us the, the, the way that this scripture is going to go, like just, just driven by ego, was so comfortable with Naaman coming, right? He's like, oh yeah, let him come. Let's show him that there's a prophet in Israel. Let him come. We're going to heal this guy. I want to I show him. So Naaman comes, shows up at Elisha's doorstep, and Elisha's not even outside. This is Naaman's turn to have a little ego trip. What? I'm an amazing warrior. He should have come out here and healed me on his front step, called on the name of the Lord and healed me. But no. He was invited instead to go to the Jordan and dip in it seven times. It was a lot for a successful man to handle. Not only was he not met with a red carpet and special treatment, which is pretty amazing that he was even expecting that because at the time, remember, lepers were ostracized from the community. So this man had a significant amount of power if he had leprosy and expected that he would be welcomed like that. So he was, he was invited to dip himself, himself into the River Jordan, a river that was not known for its immense beauty, and he would likely have to elbow through folk doing their laundry and bathing. <laughs> Excuse me? Naaman was not accustomed to, dir- to dealing with dirty water for commoners. Even ending up in Israel was a stretch for Naaman. He was first invited to leave his safe space by a young woman who had been a spoil of battle. A young Israelite girl who had been kidnapped in one of Naaman's successful military campaigns told him about this opportunity for healing in her homeland. And this young woman was probably more responsible for healing Elisha than, or that, for healing Naaman than even Elisha was. She was the one who pointed Naaman to God for hope and restoration. She was the one who got him to move. Naaman was healed not because of a prophet that thought he was so cool that he didn't have to come out of his house. He was not healed because of his power and prowess on the military field. He was not healed because he belonged to Israel. He was an outsider to Israel. For goodness sakes, he had kidnapped an Israelite girl as a spoil of war. He definitely did not belong to this community. He was healed because he's a child of God, and he was willing to move. The lepers in our gospel encountered Jesus as he was on the move in a place where folk like him usually avoided the border of Samaria. The arch enemy of first century Israelites were the Samaritans. And folk like Jesus normally took the long way around so they didn't have to risk running into them. And a group of lepers, in addition to, that's probably worse than running into Samaritans, right? And yet, as they came, Jesus welcomed them. He welcomed a dangerous people in a dangerous place. 
He welcomed these lepers and, and saw them as human, and then he sent them off. There wasn't a lot of fanfare, right? He's just like, hey, go, be made healed, like, go see your priest, be considered clean, go back to your communities. And the only one who had the good manners to say please and thank you was the Samaritan. The one whose hatred of which was endorsed by all of Israel. In both of these stories, we see people who are unlikely to be healed by God, healed in movement, change, messiness, danger, grace. Inertia, according to Newton, is staying the same unless something knocks you in a different direction. For me, on that mountain in 1994, it was the grace of one of our youth group dads giving us a lift in the right direction. For Naaman, it was his ability to get over his ego and take a trip to Israel suggested by a slave girl and then dip into a muddy river. For the Samaritan leper, it was a man named Jesus who told him to go on his way, but the healing stopped him in his tracks and caused him to turn around. Experiences of movement and change and adventure bring us opportunities for sozo, for wholeness and completion, which interrupt our inertia and send us into the unknown, where God's love will move us. Where is it moving you? Individuals, families, and churches who do not risk change miss out on the adventure of being in the full flow of God's grace. Feels pretty safe sometimes to stay in the same place, but it gets real boring real quick. As good Lutherans, we know that our salvation is taken care of by God. What we did with these precious little ones today in the celebration of baptism was an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace, the fact that they belong to God, full stop. We all do. Everyone who we encounter does. The destiny of us all is the love of God, and there's nothing we can do about it. What these precious little ones will have a choice on is whether they want to live in the flow of God's grace. We have the same choice. If they want to take an active role in it. And for that, dear siblings in Christ, they will look to us. These three children are so awesome, aren't they? I mean, we see them running around here every Sunday. Olivia has an enormous heart, and she throws her smile and friendship around with abandoned, and it's amazing. James is so curious and compassionate. He watches, and he listens, and he's so easy to grow and try new things. And baby Sam, already as a baby, is a picture of enjoying the moment. Unless he is hungry, any face that comes before him, he will smile at. And if he's hungry, he might smile and cry at the same time, like, will you feed me? But these three precious human beings who are part of the life of this church will look to us for what it means to follow God. Sure, they will hear scripture, they might dabble in theology, but at the end of the day, they look to us as models of their faith. What legacy will we leave them? My prayer is that they will see in us not an invitation to a stagnant, boring life, 
but a chance to be in the flow of God's adventure and an opportunity to be continually made whole in God. I pray that they will see us working together and changing and moving from our old patterns so that we might be flexible to work in the kingdom of God. That they'll never think that being a Christian means staying safe and small or dressing a certain way or saying a certain liturgy. But instead, they'll think that being a Christian means walking courageously in the radical love of God. That they will experience from us when they sail down the mountain the wrong way, which they will, believe me, a van to pick them up and brush them off and bring them back to the journey. That they would see in us not people without fear, but people who will trust God's love more than our own fear. That they would know that we have their backs as they adventure and will lead them by example into the sozo life, a life without limits, a life without enemies, a life without hierarchies, a life that boldly embraces God's future and love. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, We Come to You for Healing, Lord.